Hello, and welcome to Law, the Universe, and Everything. I'm your host, Pacifico Soldati. The show explores topics from law and business to consciousness, spirituality, and everything in between. We feature accomplished leaders across many fields to help you get more out of your life. You can learn more and stay up to date at theluepodcast.com. If you're not familiar with my background, I'm a helper, parent, marketer, attorney outlaw, certified mediator, story brand guide, omnist, yoga teacher, and a former paratrooper and award-winning army chef at the 82nd Airborne Division U.S. Army Special Operations Command. I'm the founder and CEO of the Soldati Group, a marketing agency helping startups, small businesses, and law firms leverage the power of story to grow their businesses. Law, the Universe, and Everything is a production of the Soldati Group. All opinions expressed by the hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of the Soldati Group or guest employers. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only, and these discussions do not constitute legal or investment advice. Today's episode is brought to you by Prosperitas, an animated video agency that can help you bring your company's ideas, values, products, and messages to life with the power of video storytelling. Whether you strive to win more customers, engage, or educate your audience, Prosperitas will craft each video specifically targeted to fit your brand and vision. Visit prosperitasagency.com today to learn more. That's P-R-O-S-P-E. R-I-T-A-S agency.com to find out how Prosperitas can create the best videos your company has ever had. My guests today are Wes McCaw and Noah Treshnell. Together, they are the co-founders of Date of Birth Incorporated, or DOB for short. DOB is an innovative, purpose-driven digital marketplace and community offering apparel and accessories from up-and-coming brands. They connect brands, customers, and experts that share common principles, sustainable, inclusive, and local. Wes is a dynamic retail professional with 20 plus years of retail experience between the field and corporate teams with strong strategic planning, process efficiency, and team leadership skills. He's an inventory management expert with 10 plus years of experience with a history of developing and implementing innovative streamlined processes and tools that drive sales growth on improved inventory terms. Noah is a decisive leader with over 20 years of industry experience and proven success delivering over $3 billion in revenue growth with top international brands through new strategic revenue streams, product and experience innovation, and expansion of brand and business to new customers, channels, and geographies. Thank you so much for joining me today, y'all. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. So take me back. Can you each tell me a little bit about how you got started in your industry? Yeah, so I could start. So in college, I I studied economics. And then when I was basically throughout college, I was working in like in stores, so fashion. I, was, I remember I was working for the Gap for a very long time and some sporting wear stores as well. And I didn't know what I wanted to do in economics. And I, I knew I, you know, I did some I did some internships at like brokerage houses and consulting firms, and I, I just didn't love it. So once I graduated, I I kind of looked around and asked other friends what they were doing. And one of my good friends, uh, she was working in uh, corporate retail, um, not on the buying side. So all I knew really in corporate retail was buying. And there's all these other jobs that are like more inventory management, more like supply demand kind of stuff. And it was really up my alley and, and I love fashion. So it worked out perfectly. I just jumped straight into it and, um, you know, not having to wear a suit every day, uh, getting to wear what I want, learning more about that fashion industry was something that was really, really important to me. And I just kind of fell into it and just 
moved my way up. Oh, very cool. What about you, Noah? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so how I started, uh, I was, kind of, it goes back to maybe I was like four or five, and everyone else was talking about being um, like a cowboy or astronaut or fireman. Um, but I wanted to be a retail executive. And wow. what? <laughs> no, 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 no. no. <laughs> Oh, man. No, not really. Um, I, I wanted to be a space cowboy, actually. I combined the two. I think like Bezos killed killed me when he was in the the, the, the cowboy hat and got in the and got up there. He he accomplished both. Um, but yeah, I, I think you know early on, early on, I was thinking um, very different kind of industries. Like you know, a kid growing up thinks about. I did think about NASA. I did think about um, being a pilot, like things like that. But, uh, but you know, as I sort of progressed through education, and I went to UCSD, um, and I I took a finance, economics, computer science, engineering, and law, and that gave me a really good breadth of different industries and gave me a good view. Also, with all my friends, it was like I had a lot of pre med friends and. And just all different, you know, you're in school, everyone's in different majors and minors. And um, it's also the really cool thing about electives because you can do like, I did film and music. And so um, it made me realize like, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I did want to get into business. And my family background is, my dad was first gen from Eastern Europe, Brooklyn, OG, uh, grew up in the Great Depression self-made guy started his own restaurant well eventually ended up worked in the restaurant industry and eventually had his own restaurant and, and grew up in that environment literally working in the back and from the back to the front you know and uh, on my mom's side they had general stores the norman stores very small towns in appalachia um like 300 people town you know that kind of a thing where the, the store is the center of the town literally like the post office like everything right and and so that that sort of set this sort of, sort of entrepreneurial uh spirit in my dna and when i got i started in finance and then quickly pivoted to 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 direct to consumer working for sephora to start and kind of fell into the inventory management side and product side and operational strategy side of the business and I just felt like it really did, it tapped largely into that, like, you know, do something today, see the results tomorrow, that entrepreneurial spirit. I felt like it wasn't a hundred percent matched in corporate retail, but it fulfilled a lot. And, and so that's sort of what, what drove me into it and what kept me in it a long time. And it's part of the reason why I'm still doing it. So how did you guys end up meeting? And then what led you to partner to form DOB? We're both from the Bay Area, and the corporate retail uh, landscape in the Bay Area is very, um, I guess you could say, is a little incestuous. So, like, basically, you, you kind of just meet everybody if you work at different places. I mean, one thing about San, like the Bay Area like corporate retail is all really big companies. Like in in LA, there are a lot of really smaller, like a lot of smaller companies. But in the the Bay Area, you have Gap, Ross. Williams Sonoma, uh, Restoration Hardware. I mean, there's just really big companies. So what happens, we actually initially met at Restoration Hardware for a short stint. 
And then I quickly, I actually left Restoration Hardware shortly after Noah joined, but then our paths just connected again when we were both at Levi's. That's where we, we worked the longest together and, and really became friends out of the whole thing. Oh, very cool. Yeah, and I think, you know, we, part of DO, part of DOB is per, starting with purpose and, and then, and then thinking about profit and, and revenue growth as, as a second. And I, and that's sort of, just saying that is sort of, is, is atypical. It's not that the growth or profit isn't important, but it's to amplify the purpose versus just focused on revenue and profit. And then somewhere along the lines, questioning what your purpose is. But yes, part of sort of the core ethos of it is like doing what we want to do, standing for something we believe in and working with people that we really enjoy working with. And sometimes we overcomplicate these things and we start talking, you know, volumes of volumes of books of like from human resources and how to maximize talent and retention. And, but you know, I think if you, if you really believe in what you're doing, um, and you have the energy and the, I guess the drive to do it. And, and you, and you surround yourself with people that are like-minded, meaning swimming in the same direction and you enjoy working with each other. Um, then the rest sort of takes care of itself. Yeah. I mean, like no and I, like we've after, even after we worked at Levi's together, cause that was years ago. I think we started working at Levi's together in 2010. I left for a short stint and he, he stayed there and then I ended up coming back cause I just missed it. Um, and then he left and then he ended up coming out to the East coast and I ended up coming out to the East coast also with Levi's and we just kind of, we've always just kind of stayed in contact and whenever we had a moment, we always would grab a drink, catch up. Um, and I think in that catching up phase, we'd always talk about what we're doing next. And I think that's really where like the conversation started with, with DOB and what were we missing in our previous jobs that we didn't, we didn't have, or what did we hate about our previous jobs that, that we, we don't want to take with us into a, a company that we, we start together. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of where DOB started. Yeah. And part of it's cause we, we call them jobs, right? <laughs> um, we could talk about that, uh, in a bit, but one of the drivers was this, this notion of a key guy, which I'll let Wes speak to, but, um, yeah, it's the notion that a job shouldn't only be a job. If it is, you're in the wrong job. Yeah, exactly. Oh, excellent. So tell me a little bit more about, about the genesis of DOB and what you guys actually do on a, a day-to-day basis and how you make it run. Cool. Yeah, uh, sure. As, uh, as Wes was talking about, we, we were on kind of, our, we, were, we met up in the city we're in like the Chelsea area and, um, and there's, uh, you know, we usually catch up over like bite to eat and, and maybe a drink. Um, and we, uh, we went to, we ended up going to the reserve Starbucks, um, in Chelsea. And I don't know if you've ever been, I think there's probably a couple now around the country, but, um, it's not like your typical Starbucks. Uh, it's, they have like a full bar. It's pretty cool. You can see how the beans are made. Like it's very experiential. It's a little cheesy, like just, but once you get past the gift shop, which you should just blow, <laughs> right, blow right by the gift shop, like don't even look. Um, yeah, there's like, there's, there's the, the back part of it is experiential and, the, uh, and they, have, they, they have a bar in this one and you can get this flight of whiskeys 
that they they match with the coffee and like it's just it's cool so we're sitting there having having a little whiskey flight and we're talking shop and like what is what does next look like and that always involves like what we really enjoy about what we're doing and what we and and what we would change for the better from a positive standpoint right not just like griping so so yeah so we said you know let's the multi-branded that's something that we both believed in meaning that there's choice for the customer we believe that the days of a head-to-toe vertical brand are dead you know no one wants to wear like the hat to the socks and shoes right um same brands like like a uniform um brands are a share of closet and 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 match your mood and how you feel building your wardrobe should be as sort of varied and dynamic as the person that you are in your life. And that requires more than one, one color of paint. Um, and then we said, okay, well, we sh- what, what if we were the platform for that? Like, what if we were the, the canvas for the paint? Um, and, and then that evolved into like, so like community based and pulling brand like my like-minded brands together with like-minded customers. And then eventually that led also to like-minded experts because a lot of these smaller businesses where we ended up targeting smaller up and coming brands, um, that should be bigger. Um, and the reason why I'll, I'll get to just in one sec, but, but yeah, but these, these brands need help, right? Uh, they don't have the 20 plus years, 40 plus years total experience that Wes and I have. Uh, they don't have the, the functional expertise and like all the things, operations, legal, inventory management, strategy, uh, digital marketing, et cetera. Um, and they can't afford to make a lot of mistakes. And so, so, so we can, we, the expert side is helping them grow uh, from, a, from an expertise standpoint. And, and if we don't have it, we have, we have people in our network that do. Um, so, so the, the, the reason for, for, for the purpose, which ultimately came after multiple conversations was, look, we don't want to be sitting in a room 50 to 60 years from now, assuming success, uh, asking what our purpose is. We want that to be set on day one. Uh, and so then that, that, that evolved into purpose first and profit second. Um, and, and the purpose then was driven to, we said, we got to, we're going to stand for a few things, not everything, but three big things. And we said of environment, which we look at as sustainability and achieving carbon neutrality, inclusiveness, which drives diversity. If you provide access and you're inclusive, not exclusive, diversity will come. Um, and then third, local, uh, plugging locally into the communities that you serve, the teams that are part of the business or brands that we're partnering with, where the product is manufactured, you know, the, being everywhere and everything is being nothing. So, so local is a sense of where you operate and where you ship your goods and like be authentically tied to those geographies at the very least, be authentically tied to those. And so that was sort of the, I guess the, the driver of the core of, uh, of what we started. Yeah. I think some other things just to call out is like, you know, we, we also during this time and it's still going on now, like wholesale, you can see wholesale is dying, right? Like it's like Macy's is closing stores all the time, Nordstrom, even Marcus, all these, all these huge, um, wholesale 
companies were just are, are just struggling, right? Like they're they're competing with everybody's direct to consumer channels, and what happens in direct to consumer channels is they're discounting and wholesale like a wholesaler can't match, or when they match that discount, they're they're just decreasing their margin significantly. We knew that there was a crunch on wholesale, and we felt that marketplaces and communities were really kind of the the way to go. I, I've worked at a couple myself. I was at uh, Farfetch for a while, and also worked at Jet.com, uh, and just saw that saw the opportunity there. I think what we're trying to do from a community standpoint is really trying to leverage the marketplace in a way that um, other, at least other places I've been uh, before haven't. Um, and really what, what that means is trying to make sure that um, we're helping each other grow. We, we say a lot of the time, people helping people. And that's really what we mean. Like we have, as Manoa mentioned, we have a network of experts that um, that will come on and take calls and help people grow their business. Um, recently, we did a experts insight with um, with a marketing partner that that we have, and really he just kind of came on and just did a like an hour, hour and a half of these are the steps that you need to take before you really go into paid digital marketing. We've got really great feedback from it. We've shared it with everybody in our community as well as other people that are just interested in learning more. And now these people can can use that and start helping doing their own digital marketing. Maybe they do want to do some paid at some point, but it gives them a little bit of insight. And and this stemmed from a conversation with one of our partners where we were just chatting with them and they were a little frustrated. They're like, yeah, I just spent $15,000 on marketing and it didn't do anything for me, right? And we wanted to make sure that all these small businesses, like they're one of the hard things is you're, you're cash strapped, right? So every dollar that you spend, it, it, has, to, it has to pay back for you. Right, it has to have a ROAS, right? So, uh, we wanted to make sure that we're we're helping that in that way, and you know we'll continue to do these these expert insights. We look to do them every six to eight weeks, and then on top of that, within our network of brands, we have like people who are going to join. Like one of our one of our brands used to be a corporate lawyer, and he's going to come on talk about all the different legal things you need to consider before going for funding or just the things that you should do when you're setting up your corporation. Right? There's just a lot of stuff that a lot of small businesses just may not have the access to or, you know, have friends to, to kind of fill them in. And, um, and that's really what we want to be able to do it. You know, we're not, you know, for, for these expert insights, we haven't, we're not collecting anything that's, these are, you know, those are free things that we're offering to our community. Um, and yeah, and I think that's something that really, it, it kind of almost sets us up as like an accelerator at some, it's at some level, right? We're trying to help these brands grow. We've, yeah, we feel the grow, brand, brand incubator, grow. brand accelerator. Yeah. But, but the reason why we want them to grow again is so like Wes was talking about Vinny, like just great, just great people like uh, Yemma and Howie that we work with and Umar and Amar and, and it's like the list goes on. It's just really great people doing great things and contributing back, which we can talk about in a minute of what that means. It's like putting their money where their mouth is. Like one of our brands, 50% of their net profit goes back to the people that make the product. And it's life-changing for them out of Pakistan. They're cutting like $1,000 checks, which $1,000 in Pakistan is substantial, right? It's, it's literally life trajectory changing. Another brand that gives 20% of the proceeds to put orphan children through school in Africa, uh, back to their homes from where they're from. Um, and in Kenya and in Ethiopia, um, these, these are every, every single brand that we're partnering with 
is in service to one of the three core principles around environment, inclusivity, and local community, and they're actually doing something about it. And a lot of times it's either money, like money give back or time give back or putting on dance classes in their local community to help give kids an outlet that's different, that, that's positive. I mean, these are all examples of, of give back. By amplifying what they're doing, by driving more awareness and top line for them, that's gonna go to directly to funding these greater causes and, and purpose. Um, so we're, we're an incubator, we're an accelerator, and we're an amplifier of, of, these, of these really important goals that are bigger than selling another t-shirt or hoodie. Oh yeah, no, I think it's incredible. I, I think it's such a great model, especially because you're attacking that incubator side of it on there, right? Because when you look at it, you look at things like Shopify that have really, in a lot of ways, just decentralized the ability to participate in commerce and you know takes a lot of the gatekeeping away it doesn't take like the you know the vig that say amazon or something does and you can make yeah. it fully your own really easily for like nine bucks a month to start exactly um, but the thing is like it's all over the place so like no shopify site of any brand has anything to do with any other shopify site and so it's like we completely unbundled like the experience that you would have in say like a physical mall and where it's like, oh, you can go and hit two, you know, 100 to 200 different brands in just walking around, you know, a few miles inside of a mall. And now it's just completely all over the place. But it seems like we are due for a rebundling and repackaging for, you know, marketplaces to become virtual malls where you can interact with multiple brands. And I think what you're doing is showing that you know, purpose driven is, is certainly like one theme, but you can just imagine different brands getting together to be like, oh, hey, we are a collective that believes in X and we can make that into, you know, X marketplace, right? So that you can go on and simultaneously be shopping at and interacting with a variety of brands that have come together for whatever different reason. Wow, that was, uh, that's better than I could say it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but, I mean, that, but that, but that's it. I mean, you you nailed it. That's it. And 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 we're not judging. We're not saying everyone should stand for these things, but we are saying everyone should stand for something. So mm. so to your point, this like rebundling this collective. Yeah, we're not saying it has to be sustainability or it has to like for us. Those are really important things, and we believe that they're important to other people. And we know that there's brands and, and, and businesses that are up and coming. It's important to them. To your point, there are other bundlings that are equally important out there that aren't bundled. So yeah, there, this, so it, I, our view is that wholesale, traditional wholesale is dead. It's dead. So this notion that, that wholesale is sort of dead person walking, there's been consolidation, there'll continue to be. The thing that it is replacing that uh, that that physical kind of proliferation of brands in category choice is now Amazon and Walmart, right? It's two big examples, Alibaba. Um, they've taken that pretty much that same model and just and made it digital. And they've focused on really where that model has has gone in the last three decades, which is around price, lowest price and convenience. Yeah. I mean, and if you look at the Amazon model, that's really all it is, is lowest price and convenience. I mean, 
that's a lot still, right? So we'll give them due like props for what they've created because they've created the ultimate lowest price and convenience proposition that honestly is very, very hard to compete with. But we believe that there's other value propositions than lowest price and getting it to you in one to two days. Right. We believe that there's value propositions that are that make, say, wearing a garment or having it in your closet feel good above and beyond the product itself. And that's where this sort of sense of like special comes back into play. Think about specialty retail. We used to say that word a lot and now no one really uses it. But the whole notion of specialty retail was specific point of view. And then you had the wholesale brick and mortars, which was really no point of view, choice um, and price. But the, and you knew a specialty, you might pay a little bit more, but it was for good reason. And we've lost all of, we've lost a lot of that is the market has just gone to lowest price and convenience. We believe that there is this rebundling effect that you talked about Pacifico, uh, this, this sort of this co-op, this new version of co-op that can take place, which is around not infinite choice, but some level of diverse choice but curated so that the marketplace, like Wes and I really, at the end of the day, Wes says this, are storytellers and we're curators and we're connectors um, and we help people grow. And that's sort of, that's where I think there's this kind of this space emerging that sits between singular brands and, and these, these huge monolithic marketplaces like Amazon, this space in between, and there's a lot of room in there for curated marketplace. Yeah. And, and what I'd say also is like, I think the days of somebody starting a brand and it becoming a billion dollar brand are, are pretty much, it's kind of done, right? Like I don't, it's going to be hard to do to just have a vertical brand all of a sudden become worth that much, right? I think it's with so much competition. And like you, you mentioned Pacifico that Shopify is taking down all those barriers of starting your own line and starting your own website. It, it's so much easier to do it. So a lot of people are doing it. So really what we believe is just trying to help, help these smaller brands get the information, the access they need to, to be able to compete with these bigger, um, these bigger brands. Like obviously, obviously there's brands like, you know, Gap, J Crew that are, are massive. And we always, we always say that, you know, granted there are different aesthetics, but like if a customer had to choose between a hoodie from a company that gave back 20% to something they were passionate about versus a, um, a hoodie from say the Gap or J Crew, if they just knew about that brand that gave back, they'd probably choose that brand that gives back. Right. So what we want to do is we just want to amplify what these guys are doing um, because we believe in it. Oh, totally. And I think it's just becoming more and more true. I mean, even when I worked in the green tech industry, I had a boss that didn't think it was good to do like marketing around being green and sustainable. I mean, you think it's like controversial or alienating. And I'm like, I mean, that may have been true 20 years ago, and it may still be true of people 60 years and older. But if you're looking at Gen Z, you're talking about over 90% believe hardcore in the corporate social responsibility and sustainability. And if you're not tackling that, regardless of what industry you're in, then like, you're just going to fall by the wayside. And so you really have to be able to get on board with that messaging, but not just the messaging, you actually have to walk the walk with it as well. And it is interesting to me to see the number of businesses that traditionally don't effectively partner with other businesses 
right? Because I think what you're talking about here is it's not just an incubator for these companies. It's also that a rising, it's just you're creating this bucket where a rising tide, you know, raises all the ships. Because if you find out about one of the companies, like, oh, well, I really like this company, their aesthetic or whatever. And then rather than only being on their website, you're exposed to these other brands that are linked in that way. And of course, with yours, like on the sustainability and inclusive and, and local side. And so that really does allow for everyone rather than be competitive, right? Like what you're talking about, like normally these brands would be in conflict to be like, hey, you need to be head to toe in our stuff. But if they can collaborate in ways that they can all play off each other around those common principles, then everyone can actually do much better instead of that having that competitive dynamic. Exactly. There's examples of this, like Southwest was a co-op. Um, I, that, I don't think that worked out. You, you got to be careful. You get so big and then it becomes challenging to maintain that. So there is a question of how big you want to become under this kind of structure. But I mean, that's a good problem to have, right? But, um, but, <laughs> but you, look at, you look at REI. REI is a great example of a co-op that still is like a truly thriving co-op. Like you, can, you can buy in, become a member of REI. Um, I, I, you know, I'd argue like I love Patagonia, but I would argue that REI is probably ahead of Patagonia because they're, they're not only in the driver of, of environmental, but they're also a co-op. And so that I just think there should be a lot more of these. And that's where part of kind of what, what is under the underneath DOB and you can see it on on dogdrop.com. We're sort of sit behind the brands in a sense, like we don't come out over the top. The authenticity of the marketplace is driven by the authenticity of the brands and our partners, people. And it does come down to really at the core, people helping people. People helping people be, get bigger and grow for good reason. People helping people find brands that fit their core ethos. People helping people grow that have expertise in a certain area that, that they can, where they can help them grow in a sustainable way. I mean, it is sort of at the center, this, this cooperation. We believe in a community and a marketplace is not a community if it's competitive. A marketplace is a community if it's cooperative. And the other thing I'd say is like, you mentioned Pacifico about like, you know, people like the Gen Z and, you know, like the next generations are all about like corporate responsibility. The one thing I'd add to that is about authenticity as well, right? Like mm. a lot of companies we've worked for, you know, like they, they give back and, you know, some better than others. I, you know, I, I believe Levi's is a good example of a, a company that's done a lot of great stuff. They were one of the first companies to, um, to give benefits to HIV people who had HIV back in, I believe it was like the seventies or eighties. And, you know, they just have a lot of really cool stories like that, but there are companies who, who just do things because, society is saying to do it, right? Like I was at a big company um, a year, year and a half ago where during, um, you know, the BLM riots and all the stuff that happened with George Floyd, all the social injustice that was justice that was happening, they donated a hundred million dollars, right? And to social injustice, which is a huge number. And I'm sure it's, it's doing some good, right? But then they turn around and then they'll donate to politicians who are, who are restricting voters' rights, right? right. Or, doing things like that. So there's, there's a lot of stuff there where it's like, yes, corporations need to be better about, about sustainability, about having some, some level of social responsibility, but they also need to be authentic with it. Right. Like I don't, I, I, I hate when people just do things just to do them. Uh, and that's something where 
we're really trying not to do. We just don't want to put a post out there with with nothing behind it. Um, we want to make sure if, if we if we believe in a post or believe in something that's going on, we'll we'll donate to it. We'll do something a little bit bigger than just putting a post out there to say that today is National Hippo Day or whatever it is, right? And um, yeah, and that's that's really what we're trying to be about. Is be about be more authentic. Uh, all the brands that are on our platform are in it every single day, and they're truly, truly authentic. Oh, I, you know, it's funny because if you had told me, I think, you know, maybe 10 years ago that like a after the rise of social media and people lamenting how fake it makes things and stuff like that, for mm -hmm. authenticity to have the comeback, I feel like it is having and has had on platforms like TikTok. And, and I think video is something where it's, it's much harder to be inauthentic for extended periods of time. Um, <laughs> And it's really shown, especially I think in the last like two years, how hungry people are for that, right? And just having people, you know, get millions and millions of followers on TikTok just by like opening up, being themselves, being silly, like letting their guard down um, and people just glom onto it, right? Like people want to see that authenticity and know like, oh, okay, other people aren't okay either or other people are going through this thing that I'm going through. And it really filters down into every aspect of life. And, and I think branding and marketing is absolutely no different. So creating something like this that is rooted in that, I think is like absolutely the perfect time for it. Completely agree. It's definitely something that we've, we've tried to focus on with our, with our branding and how we're saying things the right way. It's, it's, it's really important, right? It's, we, we want to make sure, you know, like, for example, like if, if people, come to our site and they shop a brand that they think is going, you know, they're like, Oh, 20% is going to this cause. And if it never does, I mean, that's like, that's really bad, a really bad experience. So we, we do talk to our brands about how they're giving back and, um, and kind of get that information from the, for them to make sure that, yes, this is all legitimate and this is all, all truly authentic. Yeah. Authenticity to you, to both of your points is built on, it's built on trust and trust is earned. And I think on a personal level, and it's also on a business level, I, I think that you know, corporations are built to remove the person from the business entity. I mean, from a liability standpoint, that's why they were created. And I think as corporations have become bigger and bigger and bigger and really central to social, economic and political life, the, the, there's some really great things that come from that growth and innovation. I think one of the things that has to get looked at and maybe slightly course corrected is this notion that you get totally separated from business entity and people. I think that you, there, it is what we, what you do during the day, what you do for a job, what you do as a cut, what, where you spend your money as a customer, uh, it should be personal. It should be personal. And so, you know, that, that's where we believe the trust drives authenticity. Um, if we believe in it and it's something that we could trust, then then we think that other that that's a good that's a good barometer. Like use your own moral compass, not something that's on a twenty-page document in a legal and HR brief. You know what I mean? Like like do do what do what's right. Like take it back to basics, and and I think what better outcomes. Yeah, it is wild when I've seen people like I worked for and stuff lose sight of. The importance of trust 
right? Like it's certainly something that you can borrow. It's something you can rent, right, from other companies. You can play off it in, in one way or the other, but uh, fundamentally, if you're not using that to build trust in your own organization, then once those things are gone, like you're just going to flatline anyways, because nobody wants to buy anything from someone they don't trust, right? It's just like a really core fundamental <laughs> thing that's so simple. It sounds kind of silly, but at the same time, it's something that gets way overlooked in just, I mean, even a website or something is like, oh, is this, does this sound like a person I would trust? No. Yeah. Okay. Well, like I'm going to move on um, exactly. and yeah. figuring out the best ways to do that for your specific industry is really important. But I think also at the same time, that's something where video lends so much credibility mm -hmm. that you're actually putting yourself out there, that you're humanizing your business in some way that, I mean, and then I see, I talk to a lot of people now that are still like really reticent to adopt video and they're like, Oh, that's really risky. And I'm like, no, <laughs> like in the next 12 to 24 months, like if you don't adopt video, that's really risky. That's where you're going to get into trouble because everyone else is going to do it. And eventually those people are going to get better and they're going to be out of business. Yeah. And yep. it's amazing to, to be at that, this close to that sort of tipping point with video marketing that people still are not willing to recognize like what's about to happen. Agreed. You know, whenever like I, I think of something that's transformational, I draw, draw correlations that are like, slightly removed but similar so like like when when someone really doesn't understand what dob is about we say like well with the soundcloud of apparel with purpose like we find up and coming brands we give them a platform and a bigger voice you can discover them with ease you don't have to go searching all over the internet you can over time you you develop trust with us and then you just like you can like you can check out the brands you like the brands you can trust they stand for what you stand for soundcloud right like the great up and coming performers, you find out what kind of genre you like, you dive into that. People you would never otherwise know. And as they get bigger, SoundCloud gets bigger, like Post Malone. I mean, they both like blew up together. Um, and he's still doing free music on SoundCloud for the most part, you know, it's cool. But but yeah, I think with with the with our industry, there's sort of there, there's less direct correlations because it, we are on this like precipice of, of significant change and transformation. To your point, video is a big one. And I'd say if someone doesn't understand the importance of video in apparel, I'd say, well, look at the importance of video in news. Like if, you know, remember like back in the days when you saw live news, live raw video, it, it was like, whoa, okay, now I can take that and I can, I can make my own, I can draw my own correlations and assumptions based on what I'm seeing and hearing. Uh, it, to your point, Pacifico, video with audio leaves no room to hide, especially if it's like pretty much live and uncut. And, and I think this, like, this culture of taking things and overly producing them to the point where like you take all the life out of it. I think people are getting sick of that. Like they're f sick of getting things force fed to them. They, I, I mean, I'll speak for myself. I want to see the raw and let me make my own assumptions and, and correlations. Let me take that in and, and draw my own conclusions. I think, I think Gen Z and young millennials, I think that's where they're at. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, from the beginning, actually, Noah and I, one of the, 
one of the things that we really wanted to make sure with our website was that it wasn't too overproduced. It wasn't too, you know, we wanted a little bit of that grittiness still to it because it, it should feel that, right? Because we're, we're new, the people we're working with are, are, are not well known yet. And it's something that's just authentic to us. We're not, we're not the type of people who are going to hire like the best, like the, like the best, like photographer editor who's going to edit something to a point where it's like it doesn't look like that person anymore. The clothes don't look right. <laughs> yeah, for like a hundred thousand dollars plus. Exactly. We wanted to make sure it looks like us and it looks it looks real. So that's kind of what we really wanted to focus on when we were launching the site. When we, you know, did the photography, we had we found some great partners that were, I mean, they they did a great job to they they basically fulfilled our vision of what we, what we thought the site should look like when they did the photography. Yeah, totally. June and Billy like killed it. And the people who, who were our models in it, like it just became this, like we had like a two day shoot and we're like, it became like kind of like hanging out on site, getting to know each other, what we're all about. People were having fun, you know, like we heard from the crew. They're like, this is like the most fun we've had on a shoot, like in a long time, if ever. And it's like, it should be fun, right? If you believe in what you're doing and you like who you're with, like, it's going to be fun. Yeah. And even if you, I mean, when we say community, we really mean it. Like you could, you could even see like when we post, like the models are also posting about us. And then we actually have uh, one of the models. She's actually starting her own upcycling brand and we have conversations with her. She's not on DOB, but she's like, just, she's just trying to start. I mean, she's, it's super early on and she just needed to bounce some ideas off of people. And, you know, she's more of the creative side. So we kind of helped her just think about how this could be a business. Uh, so we spent a couple of hours with her just kind of talking through the numbers and like how many pieces do you need to make to, to pay yourself $50,000 a year, right? Like what do those numbers need to look like? And uh, just to start kind of getting her mind around like, okay, if I'm going to upcycle, how many garments do I need to buy? And then how many things do I need to create per month to get to this number? And, you know, cause she was just thinking about like, when she goes shopping, she sees something she likes and she's like, oh, that would be great if I did this to it. And she does it and then she'll sell it and that's mm -hmm. it. If she really wants to turn it into business. Like how, how does she do that? And, you know, again, this is just something we, we did for her. Right? She's in our community and we wanted to make sure we're, uh, we're staying connected. Yeah. Yeah. We, we're big into analogy. So we, we often say, uh, well, also I speak for myself. I'm really big into analogies, the diamond in the rough. Like, you know, I often, often you'll hear that as like a, a negative connotation, right? Like, like you need more polishing. Um, we see diamond in the rough as a competitive advantage, but more than that, we see diamond in the rough as something that we all kind of want in our lives, like versus being handed this thing that's been so overly produced. It's a take it or leave it proposition. It's either you view it as being perfect, exactly how you would create it. Or you, or you leave it. We, we like the notion of let's serve, let's serve, let's show up as kind of diamond in the rough and everything that we do, like, like it's great, but it's not overly produced and people can kind of put their stamp on it and make it their own. So like that, that goes to discovery on the website that goes to discovery of brands of products. Like we're not just serving it up and saying, wear this head to toe. We're saying, look, you have choice. Let's just narrow your choice a little bit, make it easier, but it's still diamond in the rough. Yep. Cool. So what do you guys envision as the future of DOB and where this industry is going to go, especially via technology over the next decade or so? I'll let you go first, Noah. 
Well, that's a big one, Pacifico. That's a big one. <laughs> that might have to be part two. No. Uh, <laughs> the so the industry we talked about um, traditional wholesale. I mean, it's a flash in the pan. If you want to just go for a money grab as a brand, you go to that. But don't. But you know, a few years from now, you're probably going to be looking at that brand has been the life's been sucked out of it um, and probably turned to private label with one of these big players. Um, so I think that we'll continue to see the Amazons and Walmarts and targets, the dot coms, especially of those businesses expand and continue to grow. They have so much scale that I don't think anything can get in their way. And we'll see more players come in with, we see, like, you know, ability to shop on IG and Facebook, TikTok, like the, the social platforms are also going to probably scale into these, these market, well, they will, they're going to scale into these marketplaces. So you're probably going to end up with like six to 10 major marketplaces that no one can really compete with from a, from a price, lowest price. I'm not saying value that's different, but lowest price and convenience perspective, like because of their volume, they can probably get it to you one to two days. Maybe there's a membership program that's involved with all each of them. I don't know. Um, some of them will do free shipping just to take that market share and it'll trade back and forth, like between Uber and Lyft, right? So kind of thing. Um, so these scalable marketplaces will undoubtedly become bigger. And unless, the, unless they get broken up, in which case they'll still get bigger, they'll just be under different names. Um, but then you have this, this other part of the market that we're talking about where specialty retail, I think also is in decline being too specific too drive too driven into the brick and mortar. Um, and I think that there's this emerging component, which is curated marketplaces, places of choice, these sort of like you know, uh, the ability to kind of like almost like a new unionization of sorts where you have you have brands that fulfill a common, you know, purpose or lifestyle expression or all of the above um, and 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 begin to aggregate to be able to compete against these monolithic players. Um, and if you want to, because there's it, it basically you're starting a brand and you just want volume and you just want to be known as a category leader, then you go to the big marketplaces because they're driven by category. If you want a lifestyle brand, meaning like you, you do want to stand for something other than just the category itself, then I think that the, this, that marketplace and community is future. And I, what I'd say also just like probably more on the fashion side of things, I think um, I, I think what we're going to start seeing and we're already seeing it now is, I mean, I think sustainability is going to be table stakes, right? Like if you're starting a brand today that isn't sustainable, like you're probably not going to make it very long, right? I, I think, um, who was it? Was it um, um, Tesla? So who was it? Um, Tesla, right? Tesla was the, basically he's famous for saying, um, if you're if if you're buying a a combustion engine vehicle today, it's equivalent to buying a a horse when uh, cars were first invented, right? It's it's the same same situation. If you're starting a sustainable, if you're starting a non-sustainable fashion company today, um, it's going to be 
it's going to be irrelevant in a couple couple of years, if not shorter. Um, other things I'd say is like the younger generations are more about authenticity and giving back. And you know, Noah does no Noah. He has a he has a really great piece, and I'll let him talk to it later about voting with your dollar, right? That's something that we really believe in, right? That's something that uh, everybody should really start thinking about, and really where your dollar is going. Like, do you want your dollar to go to something that you don't believe in, or do you, would you rather spend it? Sometimes you might need to spend a little bit more, but it, it's going to something that you you truly believe in. Um, so I, I think that's a really big thing. The other thing I'd say is, you know, a lot of a lot of companies try to become lifestyle brands, and I feel like you know, with sustainability, we're probably going to start seeing people not be so focused on doing every single category, right? Like, for example, like Levi's, they, they make great jeans. Like, why do they need to make, why do they need to make wovens? Like, a lot of people are making button-up shirts. Like, let them do that if they're really great at that, right? Obviously, Levi's are already well past that, but we're going to see that with, with companies that are coming out today where they're like, man, I'm really passionate about pants. I really just want to make pants or I really want to make coats. Like there's no reason to jump into another into another product category that that you you just aren't you don't really have a perspective on right like just I would say people are going to start sticking to what they really love because from a sustainable standpoint why make why continue to make all this product that other people are making really well um, and just let them do it so so to what extent do you guys think three D printing is going to disrupt the fashion industry because I think there's one sort of outcome of this especially if you want to be more sustainable where you know fashion houses fashion brands actually kind of morph into like design firms and you can just buy their schematics and so you can print out like a gucci shirt at your house or something like that and you know thereby like reducing extra waste and things and you can make a you know more fully personalized or customized experience i think in a long-term state i i think 3d print I, I mean, I think it's more applicable to hard goods and soft goods. So we're already seeing that, but I think there's still a long way to go for 3D print to be fully commercially viable, even for hard goods. Um, I think where we will go, where we'll see more, the puck will first go to a place of, for say apparel and soft goods, I think for fit. So like the, the technology to, to, to scan and then produce at a more centralized manufacturing plant um, or factory uh, that takes fit to a very personalized level, but still centralizes the initial production, I think is probably a logical first step. Um, decentralizing production to say people's homes uh, is, is, is something I think that then would be a step two or three, um, but but it's probably probably future. I mean, if you think about like in the advent of computers, nobody foresaw that we'd have computers in our own home, and we also then never foresaw as another step forward that we'd have computers in our own hand, just essentially the touch phone. So, but I don't think that it happens overnight. I don't think that you go from steps like one A to Z, right? Like it's like I think it's going to be this, this, we will still see centralized production with 3D, hard good versus soft good, customization in the soft good. Um, you see it with shoes and things like that already uh, in terms of the insoles. And then, uh, but fit, fit has been something that's plagued the industry 
forever. Um, and it fit is a big hindrance between the physical and the virtual. Um, and it's why the returns are much higher for, for virtual, uh, for, for, for digital. So I, I see, I see sort of the 3d imaging driving fit and then down the road that could then translate into, you're going to make your shirt at home at some point. Yeah. And I, I think it's, I, I definitely agree. I think that's, that's probably where we're going, but it is, it is, I mean, a ways away. I think there's some things to consider here. So everybody has been there before where, you know, you're at home and you're, you're writing a paper and you print it out and you read it. You're like, Oh wait, I need, I didn't like this word is wrong. I need to correct this. And you print it again. You're like, Oh wait, that doesn't sound right. Then you print it again. So, I mean, from a sustainability standpoint, like what materials are you using? And if I call often you're printing something, right? Like it, it, it seems like if you're just printing a new shirt every day and you know, it's, it's kind of, it goes against all sustainability practices. Right. So I think we, there's a lot of stuff still to figure out to make that a, um, a viable and sustainable option, I think. Yeah. And, and the other thing I'd say is it also depends on where apparel and fashion goes. Right. So if you think about like apparel started, I mean, there's, there's different points of view of where start is, but but which I won't get into, but, but it, it, it undoubtedly started with function, right? Like you don't want to be burned by the sun. You don't like, like it was function. You want to be warm. You don't want to be, you don't want to be cold. So, and then, and then it became, um, some, some, uh, industry that was focused on how the apparel made you look more than how it functioned like it became like right it's the aesthetic um I, you know the so now i feel like in part you know with with covid and people going really it's, it's accelerated going from formal to informal um like you don't see people in suits anymore right uh, and that was already going away but now it's like you don't see it at all um, I talked to my dry cleaner the other day. I put like a shirt in. It's been like a couple months. It's been like a month, and and he's like, you know, like his business is su really, really suffering. No one's wearing button-up shirts. So, so this functionality is becoming more important. Like, how did how does it how how does it function? And I think if that really continues to amplify, the the notion of three D printing becomes more viable because I see 3D printing really focusing on function uh, and the tech, technical gear. Um, I see, I could, I could see that becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. And there's also the environmental aspect of this. Like, you know, there's a question of how many clothes do we need and how many do we have to wear and what is, what is, what do clothes represent? I mean, part of what we believe a deal with the, the, the DOB is based on is, that clothes are more than just wearing clothes. They have to make you, they have to feel good on, they have to look good, but at the end of the day, they have to be more than that. And so that's when you get into this sort of intrinsic function um, and, and value of, of a garment. Um, that I think will play into where and how apparel is produced. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and I think what you're talking about in terms of like the 3D, scanning like that's going to need to be something that exists prior to everyone 3d printing at least if 3d printing is going to be based on 
fit. Obviously, yeah, you can just be like, okay, give me large shirt. But if you want 3D printing to be really unique, you would already have to have a smartphone 3D image scanning, essentially. Exactly, exactly. Which is like sort of been out there for a little bit. It is nowhere close to perfected. Fit is still a major challenge in the, you know, true fits would be a leader in that space. And they're still kind of figuring it out. I do think one interesting thing about this three about three D printing is sort of like you know as a, as as a as a analogy like crypto crypto is all about taking down like decentralized finance right DeFi mm -hmm. and and in theory that's like very progressive and a very sort of evolved right and there's a lot of great things about it but then we hear oh wait there is a side to crypto that is not energy it's very energy inefficient and and so now there's this push of like crypto efficient evo crypto right so so 3d printing i think there really does need to be a hard look at that and to say is it more how much more efficient is it and and does it serve a greater purpose other than just having a shirt that's more convenient because it's printed in your home. Like, is it 50% more energy efficient? Does it produce 75% less waste? Wow. Mm -hmm. Now it's like, all right, how quickly can we get those 3D printers? Right. And I mean, at some level, the actual real Goldilocks answer is probably something along the lines of like a community or neighborhood 3D printer, right? So that it's okay, you don't need to be for yourself printing a shirt per day but someone in you know your neighborhood say there's a hundred houses in a neighborhood on any given day over over a year there's bound to be someone that needs an article of clothing so it's like if you have a community center or somewhere like that like you know and so that is like a thing where it's like okay we can actually use communal resources in a better way we use less electricity we don't have one of these plugged in we haven't used as many rare earth metals to make them or, or what have you yeah, yeah, and and it, and then we skip the the hundred Amazon drones a day dropping stuff over our roof. Right? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So I'd love to know how for each of you, how has a failure or an apparent failure set you up for later success? And do you each have a favorite failure? Mm, gosh. Hmm. Yeah, so I know Noah and I are we we come from a background in 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 direct consumer retail where it's about failing fast, right? Like failing fast and learning really quickly and, and adjusting. So um, I I think we're both realistic that we are going to um, mess up somewhere and 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 do something wrong and and grow from that. Um, I, I think right now with DOV we we've had small ones but nothing too major yet. But I'm sure something's gonna come along. I'd say. In my career, there's definitely been some, some times where I've looked back and you know maybe it was like a wrong, a wrong job choice. Like um, I know I went to a place recently. One of my one of my last jobs was to more of a startup company, um, and you know my background's really um, old school vertical. Like I've worked at you know companies that have been around for a long time, Gap, Levi's, who who the processes are really really strong and. Uh, and going to a startup like that, like it, it was really difficult to kind of like, like get them to change a certain way. But really what I kind of just took from it was like, you know what, I need to learn their way and 
uh, it, it helped me. I think that was one of the biggest, big stages for me to really kind of think about a startup and like me and Noah started working together and, and doing something brand new. Um, at, at the place I was at, it was, it was more of, there wasn't a lot of structure. It was very much like everybody wears a lot of different hats. And, and you know, in the end, it started off really rough. And then I just learned a lot from it and I, I took what I could from it and I, I apply it to my everyday life now. Mm. How about you, Noah? Yeah, there's, um, I'm, I'm big on, on quotes. Um, and there's one by, by Robert Kennedy, which is around, everyone's a fan of progress. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but, uh, but change is its motivator and change has its enemies. And, um, so I, I think about that all the time, maybe daily, uh, cause it's like a central quote for me and, and cause we see change, change is something that we, we fight in ourselves, that we fight outside. We want the, we want the, the outcome of change, but we don't like the change. We don't want to change. It's uncomfortable. Um, and so when I, when I hear the word failure, I kind of put it in that framework. And then there's another quote that I have, and, and, and uh, Wes has heard, seen this, because I've got it on a little plaque, like I've got a couple of them, like different places that I work, but it's, what would you attempt to do if you knew you could not fail? And, and so those two, like I think frame the notion of, of failure. I mean, the second one hits it straight on. What would you attempt to do if you knew you couldn't fail? And it doesn't mean that you're not, things aren't gonna work. But as soon as we put the word failure on it, it's a massively negative connotation. But if we say learn, it's the same thing, but it reframes it to forward. So like to me, failure is looking through the rearview mirror and saying, oh God, to me, but, but looking at it as a learning opportunity to course correct and pivot, which is the very nature of being an entrepreneur, then it's about change positive change and 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 i would say like what wes and i have done already god Wes, i don't know i mean dozens of pivots already like nothing not not like we're changing the business model fundamentally of dob but like but but some fairly significant tweaks along the way of like we 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 wanted purpose to be central well then we said well we needed purpose to be first you can argue that's a pivot Right. Yeah. Um, saying that, you know, we want, we started with diversity and then we said, you know what, diversity is an outcome of include being inclusive. Like these are all like micro, not even micro pivots. They're actually material pivots that, that shape, they're shaping the community and the marketplace unto itself. Um, and these are just two of like literally probably like hundreds that of examples. Um, so we see, or I see failure. I don't see failure. I see, I see it as uh, lessons to be learned. Therefore, you have to acknowledge them when they happen. You have to shine a spotlight on them. And then you have to figure out what you're going to do about it. And, um, and, and that's the pivot. So I, I see them as, as really positive changes. It's the, it's the failures or the, or the negative outcomes that we're not aware of, that are in our blind spots. Those are the ones that worry me the most, not the ones that we see and acknowledge. 
And I think an, another good example of one uh, pivot or, you know, like, like Noah was saying is when we first started the site and we were showing it to people, we actually had our uh, product categories listed men's, women's. And then we were showing it to somebody that uh, we really respect. He's an entrepreneur and he's doing well. And he questioned, he's like, well, why, why are you, you know, why are you doing men's, women's? How about unisex? And we we're like, whoa, that's, you know, we, we've, we've actually tossed the ideal around beforehand. But it was something that we're like we weren't sure if people were ready for, uh, and and you know the the call out was really we're starting something, you know, non traditional. Why start with something that is very traditional, right? So instead, you know, what we did is we tested some things out. We tested just doing unisex. We tested just doing men's, women's. We tested doing the three, and the feedback we got was the three was was worked the best. I think ultimately at some point in the future, we'll probably get to a point where unisex is just, is just the standard. Um, right. we, we'd, we'd love to get to that point. Uh, I don't think people are ready to get there yet, but adding it into the catalog was, was an important step and a change for us. Mm. Very important change. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And it's interesting, Noah, the, the second quote you had there, I haven't heard that in forever, but I think, oh man, it's like seared into my mind because like, what would you do if you knew you could not fail? So I think like, I don't know if I was like, you know, eight, nine, 10 years old or something, somebody gave me like a paperweight or something like, like a big metal block and that was mm -hmm. carved into it. And I was just like, and so it's always like something that stayed to me. Um, but yeah, I'd never, like, I don't think I've encountered more than like a couple people say it like in my lifetime since then. So uh, interesting. <laughs> that, that's when it's a powerful quote, when it gets seared, not just into the block, but into your mind. Oh yeah. The, it, it is. It's like I, I gave a, a speech at Levi's uh, and, and it was about going, it was the, the theme was to be fearless. Uh, and um, yeah, it's when I first took over the full America's business. And I mean, it was, I remember thinking like, whoa, okay, you're like going big on this because you don't want to be up in front of like a thousand people with be fearless uh, speech and come across as fearful, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so it, the inspiration for that speech was that quote. Uh, you, you, if you go in assuming for failure if you look for failure you're gonna find it and if you and if you're looking for failure to be a reason to stop then you, you might as well not get started mm. so to, so to turn that around it's to it's that it's that you know feedback and data and learnings help you grow help you pivot you don't know exactly what that outcome is going to be when you start you don't mm. um you're going to end up in a different place than you intended, most likely, and that's perfectly okay. Mm. But what isn't okay is to put your put barriers in front of yourself and let yourself run right into them to the point where you stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So tell me, for each of you, what are one to three books that have greatly influenced your lives? Um, do you want me to go? Yeah, I'll let you go first. Okay, cool. Um, so number one, without a doubt, is Siddhartha. Um, it's, you know, if anyone's read that book, it's a pretty fast read, but it's a book that I pick up once a year. And every time I read it, based upon kind of where I am in my life, it carries a different meaning. Um, 
it's uh i view it as kind of uh yeah it's an outlook on life it's a it you know it, it it's centered around buddhism but it's it's about it's really in my view it's non-secular it's it's really philosophical another one is sort of on the other end of the spectrum so you might be like this is the yin and the yang of my of the of my book choice of what of the top three is art of war and there's so many lessons in that book that have nothing to do with war. The subject, just like Siddhartha is about Buddhism, centrally, if you just took it at face value, but it's really not. Art of War, if you took it at face value, you'd say it's about competition and war, but it's really not. And the third would is tough. The third's tough. There's like a bunch of books in the running for third. I would say right now, it would, I would say of Mice and Men. Um, which is like a huge social commentary. I read that very young and it kind of had that really like lasting impression. Um, and that's a book, all these books are books that I'll pick up every 12 to 16 months and reread. As, as, as for myself, I mean, I'm a big Malcolm Gladwell fan. So, so I do, I, I, I mean, I try to read, I mean, I haven't read all of his books, but I've, I've read a majority of them and I'd say probably, uh, Outliers tipping, and The Tipping Point are probably two of my my favorite that I've definitely just I've, I've focused on and, and I'll pick up. I've probably read like parts of them or chapters of them uh, a dozen times. And it's just really just kind of helps me kind of refocus and um, and just kind of really just know where to put my effort. Mm. Very cool. Yeah, I'd have to throw Outliers as my number four, Gladwell. Yeah, he's so good. I mean, he also has, I mean, he has such a great podcast I listen to as well. I mean, his whole podcast network is really, I mean, I listen to a lot of it. So I'm a big podcast guy. Yeah, and actually a, a book that's in the probably top 20 that he did that I think is so socially relevant right now is called Blink. Mm, if yeah, anyone who's not read Blink and is keyed into like perceptions, biases, and just social impact, you must read Blink. <laughs> yeah that was really really good one as well so guys this has been such a fun and informative conversation but that does bring me to my final question of the day for each of you and that is what is the kindest thing anyone has ever done for you oh gosh mm. other than pacifico hosting this <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's hard, I guess, I guess for me, like, I mean, as a child of immigrants, parents, like, I think obviously, that, you know, I, I wasn't alive to, to be there, but, you know, my parents coming to the U.S. and sacrificing everything to um, give all of, you know, their children a chance to have a different life than they had uh, when they were in the Philippines. It's got to be the biggest, right? That's, I don't know if there's anything that could beat that, but yeah, yeah. everything I have is because of them and. I'm really fortunate and, and definitely appreciative of their struggles to uh, give me what I have. Yeah, I can't argue with that one. I would say it's the same for me. I mean, my dad was first gen, put himself through school, was the first to go to college through the GI Bill. He was in World War II. Really smart man that probably could have done well, could, did, could have done 
pretty much anything that he set his mind to, but, a, but he was a family guy and like he, not, but, and he was a family guy. And, uh, and that was, that was the most important thing to him. And so he dedicated a big part of his life and his energy and to, to that, um, and, you know, and, and to me and to my two brothers. So that, that's, yeah, to Wes's point, I don't think there's a bigger sacrifice than, than that, in a sense. Um, it, time is our most precious element. And if you dedicate time to something and that much time, then it is, it is in a sense, a sacrifice that's not selfish, but is uh, selfless if you, if you do it right. And my mom, same thing, like 30-year educator. <laughs> a big part of that education was, uh, was for me. Um, she took years off of school to spend with me and, uh, and yeah, they, they both were so, so dedicated. Um, and my mom still is. And yeah, I, I can't thank them enough really for, for what they've done for me and the impact they've had on my life. It's, uh, it's one of those things where thank you is not enough. Mm. Beautiful answers. Thank you. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to speak with you. Yeah, thank you. Awesome, Pacifico. You, you're awesome at this. Like you're. Uh, oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> kind of say. Yeah. No, I. The vibe, like, yeah. The, the, yeah, I've really enjoyed this. So thank you. you me too, and I've definitely gotten some questions I haven't gotten before. Oh, all right. Let's think about this. <laughs> really good. Really good. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. So today's episode was brought to you by Prosperitas, specializing in making stunning videos to help you win more customers and look your best online. Visit prosperitasagency.com today to learn how they create unforgettable videos for unforgettable companies. Thank you so much to all of our listeners for tuning in to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you found us so that others can find it as well. And follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at the LUE Podcast, or visit our website at theluepodcast.com. We look forward to having you tune in next time for the next episode of Law, the Universe, and Everything. I'm Pacifico Soldati, wishing you peace, love, and awesomeness. Yeah.